Is there anything you take as a player that you do as a coach now that you just kind of always knew you would do? I think communicate with the players, let them know where they stand, you know, and tell them the truth, you know, not sugarcoated. Guys don't want to have the, the, the hard conversation because they're scared to tell the truth. And if you're going to hurt this guy's feeling. So to me, the truth is, is, is the most important thing in growth, you know? Uh, so if the player is going to grow, he's got to hear the truth. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Today we welcome our guest, Marty St. Louis. Um, this guy certainly personifies uh, perseverance, stick to and just plain old hard work. And uh, he earned every inch of ice, every accolade he's got through, throughout his career. Um, just amazing what he's done. Uh, and it's awesome to have him here with us today. Knuckles and a couple small guys. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we could have used you on our wing. Oh, I would have loved it. You we kidding me? We would have been a little bit taller if you were on our wing, for sure. You kidding yeah. me? Anyway, we'll, we'll get going here. Uh, Marty, welcome. Again, awesome for um, accepting uh, the invite to come on the show. Actually, you um, you asked me. You said, geez, I'd love to come on your show for you to help you out. So I appreciate you coming um, so much. And, um, you know, I think back and obviously – playing most of my career here in Montreal, my, my, certainly my best years, uh, were the years you were hap happened to be growing up here in Laval and watching the game and you and your family were all big fans of the Canadians. You wore number 26 because of my teammate, Matt Naslin, who was one of my favorite teammates. What was it like there growing up in the, in the, um, uh, St. Louis household back in the eighties, uh, say hockey night in Canada, Saturday night. What, what was it like? Well, I was born in 75. So, you know, my dad was a huge Canadian fan. I mean, I start, you know, skating at a very young age, hockey night, in Canada, every Saturday night, you know, could be family gathering, whatever it was. Um, you know, we always had the game on and, the uncles were all watching, you know, the aunts were in the, in the kitchen and the uncles were all in the family room and, and, and the cousins and the kids watching the game. And my dad was an avid Habs fan, you know, uh, so celebrating after every goal, like jumping, like, uh, and obviously he had some, you know, being a Habs fan for him, had some great years through the seventies. And then you fast forward to the eighties where now I'm like, you know, five, six, seven, 86, I was 11 years old. Um, so there was just so much uh, momentum with the Canadians and the success that it was easy for me to get attached to the to, to the Habs and uh, you know all my all my idols you know my first idols you know the Guy Lafleur to Mats Naslin uh, you know it was uh, easy to fall in love with those guys obviously uh, what Guy did in the league speak for itself he was such an electrifying player you know the blonde hair flying to the wind there coming up the neutral zone. And, and his offensive uh, uh, instincts and what he did uh, on that side of the ice was awesome. And then Matt Naslin was just the smallest player on the team. And and for me growing up, I was always the smallest player on the team. And so, you know, I got attached to him pretty quick and idolized him. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was fun to grow up in Laval and, and have, uh, uh, you know, the Canadians to look up to. And, and, and whether you went on the pond or you play street hockey uh, – you know, the amount of time I was, uh, you know, Steve Penny in, 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 in the net in the street and the Rick Wamsley and, the, and the, you know, the, obviously the Patrick Waugh, uh, you know, I think at some point I might have been Doug Sotar too. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a big part of our lives. Well, uh, it certainly was. And um, growing up, you're playing hockey uh, in, in Quebec and the passion for the game here is like nowhere else I've been. And, you know, looking at your career and having a deal with, I guess, and, you know, being that smaller player, um, you know, I've talked to Tim about this a few times, but what was that like, you know, dealing with that, like with every coach, I'm sure come up somewhere with every coach 
And how did you battle through that? You know, I got to hear this again. I know your mom apparently said, you go show them, Marty. And, and, and would give you, your parents would give you that confidence. But how was it on you personally having to deal with that? It wasn't a big deal in my, at home, you know, like I, um, I loved the game so much. I was happy to play. If I didn't make the top team, it was never a big deal. My parents knew that I loved the game and, and they never thought that I'd play in the NHL, you know, so it wasn't the end goal for them. So there was no pressure in, in, in the household of, of, um, or disappointment, uh, they just knew how much I loved the game. And that's why my mom was always like, don't worry, you'll just show them. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And of course I was disappointed not making the top teams. Uh, you know, first year Peewee, I didn't make the top team. And I went to play double B and, and uh, you know, but I, I think, I, I don't know if my coaches uh, cut me for my size or maybe I just wasn't good enough at that point in time. Um, but you know, my passion just kind of uh, helped me get through that without really any kind of frustration. Uh, was it deep down a source of motivation? Absolutely. But I can't say I was ever like really frustrated uh, that, uh, you know, uh, I was not uh, looked at, I guess, uh, uh, because of my size. Uh, you know, I just love the game. I just wanted to play, and I knew I was going to be on a team. Yeah, no, I was similar too. I I, I didn't really have at home any pressure on that. Now, but did you think like at what age were you? I mean, were you always like I'm going to play in the NHL like mentally, or did you like you know like realistically for me, I was I I played junior varsity high school my freshman year in high school, and I there was never a doubt, there was never a thought in my mind that I was going to play in the NHL then. I mean, did you have that belief? Like, you're, or were you trying to just to get to college? Yeah, I think, I think, I think it was gradual. It was always a dream, you know. Like, yep. uh, growing up, it was a dream to play in the NHL. But for me, like, I remember, like, if you got to play midget AAA at 16 in my in, in in you know my area, and that was kind of a big deal. And, and my goal was to to you know to get on that team, and I did. And then, you know, from there on, it was either you went to play major junior or went to play college. And uh, based on, you know, the way the game was at that time, it wasn't very welcoming for a smaller player. And, you know, my dad had, you know, through friends, found out about, you know, the call, the NCAA route. And uh, so I focused on that. So for me, it was like trying to make the next level, you know, like I guess like short-term goals. And when I got to college, uh, you know, my freshman year as a true freshman, and back then there was way more, there was a lot more true freshmen than now. Uh, but, you know, I was competing against 20, 21-year-old, 22-year-olds. My freshman year, I had a really good year against, you know, older players, bigger guys. And at that point on, I'm like, okay. Then you start seeing college guys signing into the NHL and you're like, start comparing, well, he, if he, if he can get a contract, I'm sure if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll get an opportunity. So it kind of opened my eyes uh, the first couple of years of college that, hey, this, you know, I'm not just going to get an education out of this. You know, I think I can I can play some hockey. So you started thinking you you might have that possibility of playing the NHL and you certainly um, you ripped it up in college. You put the numbers up, no question about it. Um, and then. Uh, comes a draft you don't get drafted were you did you were you anticipating being drafted and when no no you weren't yeah for I mean for me it was uh my draft year was the summer before going to college and after my freshman year there was a chance as an overage I might get drafted and I didn't but I wasn't expected that uh I was you know I was very comfortable in the fact that I'm going to have to go through the back door. And, you know, I felt like it was a better situation for me because if I'm not drafted, I am a free agent and I might have a few more teams to pick from. And that was in the back of my mind. Honestly, the biggest turnaround, for, not, not the turnaround, but the, the, the huge confident boost that I got was my junior year at Christmas time, 20 years old, maybe. Uh, I went to play for Team Canada in the Spangler Cup. They brought four guys, four college guys, 
And uh, it was me, Jamal Myers, Dan McGillis, a couple other guys, a couple uh, goalie from Maine, I think Blair Allison maybe, and then uh, another Canadian college kid. And um, and I went there and I played with, uh, you know, a lot of ex-NHL guys that were playing in Europe. That, that, you know, it was Dan Daou, it was Gilles yeah. Thibodeau, it was Stéphane Lebeau. It was Mike Richard. There was a lot of guys that played. Claude Bilgrain was on that team. There was a lot of guys that had played in the NHL, and now I go play against men, against pros. And and I did well. We won the tournament, and I did well. And I was such a confident boost that, wow, okay, if I can play with those guys at 20, I'm on the right path here. And I came back, and I was having a good year, but I came back, and I just I was I was at another level because of that tournament. And uh, just felt like, and it's funny because after my junior year, I had uh, a couple offers to turn pro and I, and I turned it down. I went back to college. I want to graduate. And I felt that if I could get offers after my junior year, I'll probably get offer after my senior year. And unfortunately I had zero offer after my senior year. Uh, I think four years in that league at college was almost, uh, I could have used a Chris Nyland on my line in college. <laughs> it's unbelievable. No, no offers at all. No, not after my senior year. I had no offers, and I, it's incredible. you know, a big. I mean, a big part of it is on me though, because you know, I went from having eighty-five points my junior year to uh, maybe sixty-five my senior year. I think I had more pims. Yeah, you had than, sixty-five <laughs> pims and sixty points. Your senior yeah, year. exactly. So it was a big drop in production. There was a lot of frustration. Every game I played, guys were hacking, whacking, holding, trying to take my head off, and I got frustrated. I think it was just one too many years and in that league because you couldn't really protect yourself. You didn't have guys that couldn't really protect you. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I definitely take ownership on that. Uh, and uh, so I ended up signing in Cleveland Lumberjack in the IHL. And I played with some ex-NHL guys there, uh, which was a lot of fun. How'd you like that Spangler Cup? It's funny because you played in it and you that was like kind of like you're, okay, I, you know, then you you jump started your like it got you to believe like hey I can go yeah. I played in it and I was like I'm re- I'm this I'm retiring pretty soon here <laughs> like I was like towards you know I played in Switzerland uh, towards at the end of my career and we we were one of the teams that was in it but did you like I mean that thing was awesome uh, it was a great tournament and I actually got to go back so in the lockout in 0405 I was playing in Lausanne uh, for a few months and Davos signed me. Uh, me Joe Thornton Rick Nash Joe was already playing I think Nasher was already playing in Davos too. And they signed me, so I joined Davos for that weekend, for that for that week tournament, and we won it. That was a lot. It was one of my favorite hockey experience that Davos oh, tournament. And that's in yeah, Joe Thornton. He met his wife there, right? Like she's from yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and that's and then and what'd you think of the Swiss league? I try to explain it to people, and it's like, man, it's it's the transit. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how the you know. I don't yeah, wanna... it was different hockey. There's, yeah. you know, uh, the, the rules are a little different. It's a lot like uh, basketball, a little bit, a lot of pick and roll and. Uh, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, quality of life was awesome. The people were great. Uh, the hockey was different than what I was used to, but you know, I learned to adapt. So that, that, you know, going from Lausanne back to Cleveland, though, you start in Cleveland, you sign with them, and then uh, how, how does the flames come about? How do you end up with the flames? Yeah. So I ended up, so I signed with Cleveland. So my longtime, my childhood friend, uh, Eric Perrin, was my sentiment for 13 years. He played in the NHL, too, and um, he ended up having a, a, a heck of a career uh, and uh, spent a lot of times in Finland. He's the all-time leading scorer for imports in Finland. Great league. And uh, we both signed in Cleveland together. So he was my sentiment, and we were playing on the second line. And then Brad Lauer, uh, who uh, – coached in Edmonton, he coaches in Edmonton now, uh, the, uh, the junior team, uh, Lau, Lau got hurt and Brett Harkins was a number one center. Brett was a great playmaker. Uh, saw the ice really well, very creative. So I jumped up on the first line with Brett and, uh, and it got me to the all-star game and I scored three at the all-star game. And then the next day I signed with Calgary and so- I went to their, I went to their farm team to finish the season. So you go right there, you go to the farm team, you played a couple of years there with the Flames, then getting called up in, what, uh, 99, 
uh, you have 56 games and then it's on, how does Tampa happen? So you make your way in Calgary, but how does Tampa happen? Well, it's a long story, but, um, you know, and I don't mind diving into it because I think it, 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 it'll bring a little clarity to, to why things ended up the way it did. You know, I, I, so I signed with Calgary my first year pro midway through, finished the season with the, the Flames. We go to the Calder Cup final. The Flames are out of the playoffs, so they follow us around. I led the team in scoring through the playoffs. Uh, we lost to Philly. Uh, but it, because they were following us around, they saw me every day. It, allowed, it gave me a, a, a leg up on, on, on making the team out of camp the following year. So I make the team out of camp. My first two games with Calgary is in, is in Japan uh, in 98 uh, to, to promote the Nagano Olympics. We play San Jose. I'm on Theo Fleury and Andrew Castle's line. And I, I tr- looking back on it, like skill-wise, talent-wise, um, I was ready for the NHL, but mentally I was not. You know, I every time it took me a while because I would put the NHL on such a pedestal and I would sell myself short mentally. That's I feel that's why it took me a while to get going. So, I mean, I played the first 11 game. Maybe I was in and out of the lineup. I, I mean, it was a, it was, I had two games with Castle and Flurry. Didn't do very well. And uh, I, uh, I was in the minors a month later. And uh, I got a concussion in the minors. Uh, I only I only played 50 games uh, that year in the minors. Uh, still led the team in scoring in the AHL. And the following year, I show up to camp now, my second camp, one of the first cuts, and I'm upset. And, and this is the year that the, the expansion Minnesota-Columbus is coming in. So when I left camp, I'm, I'm, I'm upset and one of the first cut and I told them to not call me up the rest of the year. Cause I wanted a full season, in the American league and little like, um, I guess, I don't know if it's confident, it's arrogant, whatever it is, but I told them just, just don't call me up. I want a full year. I'll lead the league and I'll be out of your way. And the first 15 games of the season, I'm got 26 points in the minors. I'm leading the league and they call me up and I never went back and they brought me up and, on a, you know, more of a check and roll, killing penalties. And I think it was great for me to learn because I had never really focused on that side of the game my whole life. And Brian Sutter, was, I love Brian Sutter. He was great. He gave me a role. Uh, I didn't produce a lot, but I felt like the last two months I was coming on. I was getting my reps at that level. I was feeling comfortable. I was, I was catching the pedestal that I was putting the NHL on. And, uh, so I had a lot of momentum finishing the season, bettering my faith, moving up the lineup a little bit, getting more responsibility. But then everybody gets fired. Everybody got fired at the end, GM, coach, everyone. And I was a no name with no stats, uh, five foot eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they, uh, they let me go. And that's how I ended up in Tampa. And I went to Tampa um, because I felt – that was probably the team that had the best chance at cracking the lineup. Uh, it wasn't a very good team at the time. So I went to Tampa with a, a, a mindset of, you know, you're, you're going to the American League. Because in the American League, I played my game. So I went to Tampa and camp in the mindset that I'm in the American League and don't worry about, you know, there was no, like, superstar there. Uh, and uh, I had a really good camp, but again – First game of the season, Fort Line. I still have my the game sheet, you know, I, I in my office because I played a minute fifty two my first game in Tampa. <laughs> One minute fifty two. I didn't make many mistakes in that game. So, you know, the first twenty games it was uh, you know, in out of lineup and and I finally had enough and I I talked to Steve Ludzig at the time and uh I was a coach and I was like, you know, like I just want you to know that I can play in your top three line and I can help you. You know, I just want you to know that, that I know that, you know. So I kind of threw him the ball and and he eventually started giving it to me and and I just kind of gradually like took off. And I mean, I scored my first goal my first year. I think it was the 20th game of the season and I started playing more and I finished with 18 that year. Uh, so I felt pretty good about it. And Torch took over halfway through that season and it's not like he gave me the power play time or anything, but I was kind of solidified role on the third line to finish the season. And Torts told me that 
that exit meeting that if I take care of myself this summer, come in shape, he's going to give me a chance in the top six. And I, I mean, that, that was just fuel to my fire and I just never looked back. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, this is for me, this is a, such a, an amazing story just because it kind of relates a little bit. Um, and I remember watching you in college and being, you know, I was telling Chris earlier, like you were paving that way. And I know there's been small guys in the league before, but just at the time for me in college, I, I saw you when you guys won the cup um, and just kind of paving that way for the little guys. And and I went to Finland after college for two years. I was, I was located in Helsinki. And it just so happened to be like, you know, that's where like a lot of these scouts were going to watch, you know, Tuka Rask was in the league. And, and then I ended up signing with Toronto, played a few games, but I got, I was, I want to bring up somebody, but I, I got traded from Toronto to Atlanta and I was thrown in this trade. It was like Pavel Kabina and what, you know, and then they just threw me in it. And it was because of Rick Dudley and Rick Dudley um, believed that I could play. And I ended up playing like 50 games the next year. And then he, they all got fired. We get sold to Winnipeg, but what does he mean to you? Cause I've heard, I know he has something to do with you. And I, for me, that that's such a, an amazing thing. And he was, he was great for me. I didn't play obviously nearly as long as you did in the NHL, but I got to play and he was one of the reasons why. Yeah. Duds brought me to Tampa. Like, uh, you know, Duds, you know, just a great hockey guy, uh, great person. And I think he watched, he watched a lot of hockey and he had tracked me for many years now. And, uh, he took a flyer on me, but he felt like, you know, I had my body of work for the last three, four years, uh, deserve a flyer. And, uh, and I think that, uh, I always say I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I, I don't think, you know, without Rick Dudley, I don't know if I'm talking to you guys today. I don't know if where I am today. And I think we all at some point in time need somebody, you know, to, to reach down and, 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 and grab you and grab, you know, lay a hand and, and pull you out of the water, I guess. And, and Duds was that guy for me. Yeah. Well, Duds certainly has that reputation, no question about it. And so, so Duds gets you, you to Tampa and uh, you end up uh, playing for Tortorella. Now I know that's a special relationship because John unfairly at times, I believe gets, you know, he gets much maligned when you look at, you know, some of the, situations that happen when he's in Columbus and in Tampa. And I like that old school coaching, but how was that for you with torts? Did it take you a while to kind of work your way in there with him? Did, was he as demanding? Was he fair with you? What was that relationship like? Yeah. To me towards, I compare him to like, to a, a, a tough dad, you know, but like I grew up, in, in, in a household of rules and accountability, <laughs> you know, and, and demanding and, and like, and respectful and, you know, the, the values that torts like lives by, like it, it is the same values that I grew up with. For me, it was easy. Like yeah. I, me and torts had some, ba- we had some battles, but uh, we all wanted the same thing. You know, we wanted, you know, he wanted the best for me. I wanted the best for myself and in some time, you know, like as a kid, you don't know what's the best for yourself. Yeah. You know, you need somebody to guide you and push you and, 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 and that's what he did. And, um, I was used to that, you know, as, as the way I was brought up and, and, and to this day, you know, my dad is the guy I respect the most on the earth. Uh, even if he was hard on me at times. And uh, you talk to a lot of guys that had torts, they might have not like him all the time, but they look back on what they did, what he did for them. And they're like, wow, okay, it makes a lot of sense now that those guys are older, they have their own kids. Uh, so, you know, torts has maybe a, a, a misleading reputation because, yeah. you know, you see the stuff in the media and, 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 when he's fiery and everything, and you think he's like that every day, all day, uh, Torts is an unbelievable human and a guy that shows a lot of love too. I would say that Torts is very fair, but what is fair, right? People, people, what's the definition of fair? Like, it's not always good for me, you know, uh, but what is fair? He's coaching a team. He's not just coaching me. So, um, 
you know, I look back on it and, and it couldn't have been a better uh, situation for me to land with a guy like Torts. Uh, you know, he's, he was demanding, but he was fair. Yeah. And that's awesome. And, and you know, like I say, he's much maligned and I, I certainly like that old school um, style of coaching that he had no question about it. I think sometimes we can, um, looking at it from the outside, it looks like sometimes guys are pampered and babied and, you know, for someone who didn't grow up in that and didn't play in that, my times in the NHL, uh, it, it's frustrating to watch, put it that way. And I kind of, I just like his style when, and you, and you talk about, um, I read something where you, uh, talked about exposing, not being ready to say coach in the NHL at this point. You know, a lot of people said, where did Marty coach before here? You know, he had a little stint in Columbus as a consultant. You were offered a job in the American League by Jeff Gordon when, with the Rangers. Uh, and and you end up behind the bench for the Montreal Canadiens. You said you wouldn't take the job. Uh, you wouldn't expose yourself to it if you weren't ready. How did you get ready for that job, if you can tell us? Well, I feel my whole career in the NHL was getting me one step closer to that job. I played till I was 40. Um, you know, I played with some great young players while I was in my 30s. I can tell you that I was coaching a lot of them. Um, you know, I've played for different coaches, different style, different system. There was a lot of, and I was exposed to a lot of information, you know, so how do you, how do you measure experience? You know, what's experience? Is it calling the lines? Is it, you know, is it running a meeting? Um, I don't know how you measure experience, but I know I have a lot of experience and then uh, in, in hockey. And then my last seven years, I've coached anywhere from, you know, six-year-olds to 17-year-olds. And I've gone through the the development side of thing and developing athletes, uh, hockey players and human, I guess. Uh, you know, I feel, I, I'm a true believer that as a coach in any sports, your, your number one priority is develop good human. And hopefully they, they, they grasp and they get better at the sport at the same time. But uh, it's got to be uh, in that order in my mind. Uh, and... <clears throat> You know, I I watch a lot of hockey. I think that 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 thing of of Columbus, that that stint I had there, was great to to go back into an NHL dressing room, be on the ice and practice, and, and just I guess being on the other side of things, see how things work. You know, from a coach's perspective, the meetings and whatnot. Um, watching hockey, I'm, I'm take a lot of notes, uh, and to me, hockey is hockey. Yeah, the NHL is the is, is the highest level, but you know, the fundamentals of hockey to me are the same everywhere. And, uh, the one thing I did that really helped me in my mind too, is I did a lot of speaking engagement, talking to companies about leadership and, uh, motivational stuff, work ethic. Uh, so public speaking the last seven years has helped me, you know, to be in this position as well. Is there anything you've experienced as a player that I don't even know the best way to ask this, but like as a player, is there anything you experienced that you were like, if I ever become a coach, there's that's one thing I'm not going to do, mm-hmm. you know, like, a, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? Like where uh, a coach, like, you know, I've had many coaches and they're like, you know, they're bullshitting you, right? Like they're like, Oh, it's a numbers thing, this and that. It's like, if I'm ever a coach, I'm never going to say this fucking numbers thing. But is, is there anything like you kind of live by uh, internally? Like you, you know, what is your coaching style? I guess too is another question, but like, yeah. Is there anything you take as a player that you do as a coach now that you just kind of always knew you would do? I think communicate with the players, let them know where they stand, you know, and tell them the truth, you know, not sugarcoated. Guys don't want to have the, the, the hard conversation because they're scared to tell the truth. And if you're going to hurt this guy's feeling. So to me, the truth is, is, is the most important thing in growth, you know? Uh, so if the player is going to grow, he's got to hear the truth. And sometimes it is a numbers game. Sometimes it's not yeah. fair. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're dealing with a cap now and all that, but I think it's important for, and yet for so many years, I felt like I, 
you know, I wish there was more communication, you know, where, you know, you, if there's a plan, right? This is, this is where you're at and this is where we need you to go. How you get, how are we going to get you there? Here's what I think, you know, should do this, that, whatever, work on this, that, and that, and then we'll get you there. And I don't think there was enough of that. And I think now so many, so much, so many more resources to, to help players, but uh, you know, it's, it's, what are you looking at? What are you looking at in the player? What, what are the flaws and how do we get to fix that and get him to maximize his potential? And, you know, I feel that uh, that's one of the thing I think that, 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 with my experience in the game in the trenches and, and and played in so many situations and actually like being an American league guy, be a call up, be a guy in the stand, be a fault line guy, be a third line guy, be an all-star. Like, I feel like I know exactly how my guys think no matter where they are on my bench. I've been through that. So I feel like for me, you know, I want to communicate because it's not the same pressure for even an all-star. You think you leave the all-star alone. Like the all-star has a lot of different expectation and pressure than the guy in the third, fourth line. But everybody on your bench has to feel a little bit better about themselves, you know, so that, you know, they, they, they play better. So, uh, you know, so for me to go back to your question is, is, is you know, it's the, the constant communication. And sometimes it's not always communicating with words. It's some It's action, but at least there's communication. I've read um, uh, one piece where you talked about uh, the battles and uh, the play as a, a experience, and not only on the ice, in the locker room, and that battle internally. So you come into a situation like the Canadians were, and I'm not here to disparage any other coaches or players or anything, but you look at the situation you step into. Before you got here, this team was totally lost. They did not look like they were playing for the coach. They were not involved. They were unenthused. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You came in, and and it seemed the attitude seemed to change right away. It's, of course, everybody wants to impress the new guy, but how do you? How were you able to come in, and and you know, in such a short time, get their attention? Because it was no more evident with a guy like Cole Caulfield, who only had one goal or two goals when you got here. He ends up with 21 at the end of the season. What did? How did you free these guys up? I guess I'm trying to get, get at. Because it seemed like they got freed up or something. Yeah, I mean, my own experience, you know, <clears throat> when things don't go well for a team or if you're having a bad year as a player, the one thing you can't wait for is to hit that reset button and start over. You know, and I think a new coach does that. When you bring a new coach, reset button. You have a bad year, playoff starts, reset button. You know, year year's over, reset button for the next year. There's so many time or opportunity maybe where you can hit the reset button. And I think that's all we did. I came there, we just we just got a reset button and and, and, and talked a lot about, you know, enthusiasm. There's no way that we can get better here down the stretch and and, and feel good about ourselves unless we we bring enthusiasm to the game, to practice, whatever it is, you know. And to me, the most important day in this league, whether you win or lose, it's always the next day, you know. So I, a lot of guys were I felt were carrying a lot of baggage because of 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 the year that they were having collectively and individually. And once we hit the reset button, I asked them to leave all the negative stuff at home. You know, if you need to call your dad or talk to your wife, leave it at home. The next day we're coming here, we're going to win the day and we're going to have fun. And, you know, we, we just started, you know, playing. And it's not like, a, of course, there's a lot of things that I want to address as a team. And, and your job as a coach is you have to convince them why we're going to play a certain way. You can't just say we're going to do this, do that. And you have to build it. You can't just give them the manual and say you got to read this uh, by tomorrow. You know, you go one chapter at a time. And once you feel you got the chapter, first chapter grasped, then you move on to the next one. I feel we did that. We didn't. I didn't overcoach. I just tried to. Uh, point out a few key points. And then once I felt we were good with those, we move on to the next thing. And the guy pl probably played a little more free that way. Uh, but uh, to me, the biggest piece, it was just being able to hit the reset button. I think any coach that came in there, you know, they're going to get that reset button. And, and, and hopefully, 
you know, start feeling good about themselves. But uh, you, you can't get any of that unless you bring some enthusiasm. He gave all optional practices too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you say you hit the reset button, which I get, which is awesome. And then again, how do you maximize your time? I guess trying to get that point across to this team that, you know, I see a lot of coaches that come in, they, they put the trap in right away. We got the trap. We're playing the trap. Um, and, and you mentioned overcoaching. That's, that's what I wanted to say. What is to you overcoaching? How were you overcoached when you played in the NHL? I mean, I know <clears throat> when I got to be, when I, when I just first came in the league, you know, uh, I was very, I was a pleaser. Like you tell me to be here, I'll be there. You know, you, I, uh, you took some of my instinct away. And eventually I worked myself to, uh, to have a long enough leash, I guess, where I could play more with my instinct um, and a little more freedom. And I think it's important every, every player that have a little bit of that. And uh, now does that mean that, you know, there's no structure? No, there is structure, but there's so many ways that, that you can play the game. And as a coach is to, to teach and to get everyone on the same page, you know, because you have five guys on the ice. If there's one guy that's out to lunch, you know, there's a study about that. There's one guy that's out to lunch that's not doing uh, offense or defense your productivity goes down like to, you know, 35%. You know, so as a coach is to make sure that we're all working together on both sides of the puck. But there's so many ways to do that. So many ways to play D zone. There's so many ways to, you know, to, to forecheck, you know. So to me, it's, 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 it's trying to get everyone on the same page. And then make, make if you feel like your team is not quite, you know, uh, getting it or responding, you make a few like slight adjustment to make sure it's easier to be on the same page and you grow from that. But, uh, you know, the, yeah, I mean, uh, systems are part of the game. Uh, I, 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 I rather talk about concepts and structure than system. I feel system, you're boxed, boxing players and can all, you can do this. You can't do that. And you're taking some of the reads away that I like to have. And there's time in the place where there's no read to be made. We're going north. There's time on the clock. There's puck management. There's score in the game. But the in-between, the in-between, most of the game, you know, I want my players to, to play with concept-oriented together, uh, but definitely with some structure, but not so boxed in until you can only do that. Yeah, no, and I, I that word teach is, I think, such a – you know, there is a difference between coaching and teaching. And if you could do both, like one of my best coaches was, I only had him for a little bit, was Craig Ramsey. He was the head coach in Atlanta. And he would. I had Rammer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's he right. Was, he, he was the assistant coach in Tampa. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. him and he must have came with duds then. That makes Love sense. Love Yeah. I mean, he would, and he would hold me after practice and teach me within, you know, you know, within the coaching. And I think there is a difference between two. I mean, I'm kind of rambling on about it, but that word teaches such a keyword to, at least for me, what I thought my best coaches were ones that, you know, you know, you got Mike Keenan, who's just like yelling and telling you your wife's ugly, you know, to get you to play, <laughs> to play art like those days, you know, but, but then you got, you know, there was a, a few coaches I had that really did both really well. Yeah. And, and I thought those yeah, were, I my, think, yeah. yeah, I, I think overall the best coaches are the one that can teach and coach. Cause it's, you're right. It's different, you know? Um, and I have coaches that were really good coach, not great teachers. And I had the opposite. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I strive to keep getting better at teaching at delivering my message and, and, and also like coaching, you know, the coaching, you know, is the bench decision is, is there's a lot of different things that has nothing to do with teaching. When you talk about uh, concepts, I, I guess, you know, obviously growing up in that structure and those systems, you know, playing the trap. I remember when it was invoked here in Montreal when back in the eighties and it was very structured and it was demanding. And as far as um, the discipline of staying within that system and not really straying from that. When, uh, when you were a player, 
How did you feel when you got matched up against and how'd you battle around that? And as a coach, do you believe in that, you know, matching against certain guys? You want to go against that offensive line. You want to shut them down. You got to, you got to match. And how does that affect, you know, the rest of the bench when you have to do that or do you? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, with the era you came in and, and um, even like some of the, you know, years that I played, I feel like the NHL was very uh, playing not to lose, you know, forget, forget the Edmonton Oilers of the eighties, but just in general, they got to a certain point in time where, you know, it was limiting the mistakes and playing not to lose. And now the NHL has moved a little bit into playing to win, you know, and, and the team's, that can balance that the best. They're the most dangerous one. They can do it more consistently. They have a good gauge of the risk and reward that they make in their play. What are they giving up, you know, with the decision they make, okay? You know, I'm going to I'm gonna risk to go on a two-on-one, but if it doesn't work, I'm giving up a three-on-three three the other way. I'll take that all day, you know? So, and I think there's more of that in the league now, and I think that's why the league is more uh, fun to watch. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, in terms of matchup, I mean, I feel like, you know, you have an idea of, you know, and it varies from team to team and you have an idea of who, you know, who you have to look, look for, look, look out for. And I think it's hard to just have one line, take care of that. I think it's collectively, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I think you have to make sure as a, as a coach, you have the right people on the ice to protect against the, you know, the other team's best players. For me personally, I love the matchup. I love to go on the road and knowing I'm playing against, you know, uh, uh, Madden, Pandolfo, you know, Stevens, Niedermeyer. Like I, I used to love that. Uh, and uh, just a challenge, even playing against Bergeron for the Bruins is a challenge. Uh, you know, and at home, I, I, I didn't expect my coach to take me away from that. I wanted like, come on, let's go, let's go head on. I, I wanted that competition. I wanted that challenge. So, you know, I think it's a balance, but it's it's hard to ask to one line uh, because you know so many things happen during the game. Uh, the other line stays on the ice for a minute fifteen. Your line comes off after forty five. There's still a thirty second gap there. You have to be careful with. So, you know, you plan accordingly and you try to get the right, you know, the, the matchup as as much as you can where you don't expose yourself. Is there any players you actually did hate playing against? Like that just kind of, you struggled mentally, I guess, or however you want to say it. But you said you love playing against the guys. I, I hated it. So I was just... mm-hmm. <laughs> but... yeah, uh, no, I can't say that even like, even like Chara, people would think that I would not like playing against, but Chara was too big. And I bet you Chara big. would say that, 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 that he didn't like playing against me because I was too small for him. Yeah. You know, like Chara was, I, I could, I could get underneath him. You know, he was, um, he wasn't some, and, and and obviously, like he's got a long stick. There's a big triangle there. You know, like so, I I, I was able to maneuver. You know, through I, a big guy like that has a lot of holes for a little guy. <laughs> so, but you know, every now and then I got caught in the train tracks, and yeah, that hurt. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Z was. He was great to play against. He was a competitor, but he was an honest player. So it was good. Marty, winning the Stanley Cup for you, obviously, uh, in Tampa. Uh, how, When you look at that trophy, to win that trophy and having won it, do you think it's the most – and you haven't played the other sports, I get it, but do you think it's the most difficult trophy to win in sport? Absolutely. You know, you play 82 games. You got to find a way to stay healthy. <laughs> and you have to find a way to have energy uh, to get on a two-month ride again. And through that, and, you know, I mean, I feel like the time we won it in 04 was kind of the last gladiators years, I guess, because yeah. they changed the rules. And uh, uh, and I, I, I love that era. Like, it was hack and whack in the playoff. You knew it was going to be war. And uh, I loved it. What'd you do with the What'd you do with the cup? What'd you do? Uh, what was your day with the cup? Well, I took it to uh, University of Vermont. Had a big party there, and I took it to my hometown too. So, 
winning that cup. And again, uh, it's awesome to have that uh, feather in your cap. No question about it. Now, as a coach trying to do that, um, if you could, I guess, build that consummate team, you know, you, you, you certainly need the offense, some top two lines, but you believe you have to be like a lot of people, a big, heavy team to win the Stanley Cup? I think it's part of it. I mean, I don't think you need to, you know, playing heavy and yeah, if you're big, it probably helps playing heavy, but like, what are you giving up if you're just big? Are you giving up speed? Cause you're going to need that too. To me, it's a balance, you know, it's a style of play and the balance, but uh, you can't, I know it's a copycat league, but uh, you know, you, you got to make sure if you're going to copycat a team, like you, you better be a real copycat because you can't just be big because the team was big. If your guys are big, but they can't move well, they, 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 they don't make high end plays or, 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 you know, poise, they don't have poise. There's so many things that, that, that you need uh, to be a successful team. Yeah. It'd be great if you're, you know, if you have big guys uh, with poise that can fly, but you know, I, I think, I, I think it's not uh, realistic to think that you're going to have, you know, 12 fours like that. So I think it's a balance, but there's a style of play that can help you to play a little heavier and having your guys compete. Uh, Cause to me, the compete is probably the most important thing to survive in this league and to be successful and to win. Uh, but uh, you know, the compete factor, uh, you know, has to be in line with some kind of intelligence and in what they do on the ice and where they go and why they go there. Uh, you know, so because working hard to me only gets you sweaty, you know, there's <laughs> gotta be some, some intelligence behind it and purpose to why you're doing things a certain way, but physicality and heaviness is a big part of winning. So you're here in Montreal, obviously. Uh, and, and you know, over the years, players have come here and have not produced or had a difficult time to play in the fishbowl that it is, the pressure of this city. How's that pressure for you as a coach? And maybe looking at players dealing with that pressure, how can you help them to maybe manage that better or deal with that better? Because it's not an easy place to play or coach. Yeah, yeah. I think it's communicating with them, you know. You know, talk to them, you know, often see where they're at, how they're doing, you know, and, and uh, players put pressure on themselves regardless. You know, I, I think that they probably, they, they're going to, they're going to feel some external pressure, but the, the pressure that, that, that is the most uh, damaging for player, it's probably the internal one. So it's how they, 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 uh, they manage, they process the external one, someone that, that gets a little bit heavier on their own internal one. But I think it all starts when, I mean, I went, I went into every year with pressure. I was playing in Tampa and I felt I had pressure because I had my own expectation. You know, we only had three writers in the room, Yeah. you know? So I think the biggest pressure that players put on themselves is the internal one. And I'm just, for me as a coach is try to help him manage that. And if I feel there's some external stuff, that, that, that's creeping in into their own internal one, then I have to manage that too. And as a coach, you know, to me, I'm probably going to probably gonna be the same as a player. I'm going to go into every year with expectation and create short-term, short-term goals and try to meet those. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the expectations that have to be realistic, you know, in my own head, just so I, have, I manage that pre- my own pressure. Do you have the same nerves as a player and a coach? Are they the same? Or are they a little different? A little the same. I love it. Like just right before <laughs> the game, walking mm-hmm. on the bench. Like that's fun, awesome. Fun Cause fun. that's the, I, I could say like, for me, that's, I miss that. I miss being nervous. Yeah. You know, I miss the trenches. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Good for you. For sure. Love the trenches. Yeah. I got to tell you um, for myself and, and I know the alumni uh, when you were hired and, Kent and Jeff Gordon uh, here now and this team taking a new direction. Uh, the evening we spent together uh, with some of the alumni was awesome. And, and for you as a, a, a kid growing up here, being fans of the Canadians and being able to see some of those guys in the room and just, you know, again, you're a Hall of Famer, but still to see some of those guys and relive those childhood memories must have been kind of nice for you, no? Yeah, no, to be honest, Chris, it was uh, one of my favorite 
thing about being the head coach of the Canadians is is getting a chance to see some of you guys sometime. Like, you know, I I grew up watching you guys play. You guys were, you know, were my idols, you know. And I, I just I can't believe I, you know, I get to, you know, shake your hand and, 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 and you know, when I'm around you guys and, and I can talk, when I'm around you guys, I just want to listen. I want to listen to the stories. I love it. Like, you know, you played hard, Chris, and 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 you earned every shift you got. And, and it was so fun to to actually get to know you now and, and get to know the person, not just the player and the warrior that you were. But, uh, you know, the alumni and the ex-players are, I think, what makes the Canadians special. And the fact that I got, an, you know, inside the rope look at that is, is a blessing and an honor for me. Yeah, it's so cool. And it was nice to see, obviously, you and your dad together at, uh, although a, a difficult time, but Guy's funeral uh, and the number of people that came and showed up for Guy was just was awesome. But to see you there with your dad, it, it, it touched me because I just lost my dad. My dad was such a huge, uh, became such a huge Canadians fan um, after being a Bruins fan his whole life. But uh, to see you with the your dad there at the church was just awesome. Man. Yeah, well, was you got to be better. so proud I mean, of you, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, like your dad, you know, is your first best friend. That's, that's, that's all I can think of, you know, and, and, and I hope that's what it is for a lot of people. And I think your mom is your first love, yeah. you know? And uh, so losing a dad, best friend, it's got to be hard. I lost my mom. Uh, it was difficult. But I think it was obviously geek. Uh, played a big part in my dad's, uh, uh, you know, hockey experience and being a Habs fan and, and watching him. But also when my mom passed, uh, you know, Guy came to my mom's funeral. So my dad wanted to make sure that, you know, yeah, that's awesome. he asked me, is it okay if I come? I said, absolutely, let's go. You know, he wanted to pay his respect again. And not just for him coming to my mom's funeral, but uh, for Guy being the, the, the player and the human that he was for the whole province and just the hockey world. Did you so you cool. talk to you, would you talk to your dad like after every game? That's something I did every game, every game. Oh yeah, even Talks today. To what about as a coach? Game. Now, do you talk to him after games as a coach? Uh, I mean, he comes to all the Montreal at home. Awesome. Yeah, on the road depends where we are, but uh, uh, probably not as much. But if I don't call him the night before, a uh, night of the game after, I'll call him the next day. But when I played, I just wanted to. I just wanted to hear what he had to say, but he, my dad was never negative. He just would say, ah, it was, it wasn't one of you. It wasn't one of you. My dad had a philosophy. He was like, Hey, you're going to play 50% of the game the way you're supposed to. You're going to play 25% well above your capability. And you're going to play 25% below your capability. So he would tell me which bucket my game was in, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he wasn't, he was never critical. You know, it's funny. I had uh, Jacques Lemaire, who was certainly a, just an awesome uh, mentor for me and a guy who helped me so much. But he used to tell he, – he'd come to me after the game. He'd say, how do you think you played? And, you know, as a player sometimes, um, I, I think your view can be a bit skewed because we don't want to be too self-critical at times. And I'd say, I thought I was pretty good tonight. He said, pretty good. He said, listen, be honest with yourself. And – I said, all right, I, I, I wasn't good. I, I didn't have a good game. And he said, listen, it's going to happen. He said, but I'm only going to let it happen to you one time every 10 games. You can have one of those games every 10. So that that's like eight games. You can have eight stinkers <laughs> during the season. When I thought of it, I, I thought it was pretty demanding. But when I, after getting through that season and looking back at it, it was the best advice I could have had it. It, it it drove me more. It it put me on my toes more. He was he, an incredible coach for me. That way. Yeah, well, I think, Chris, if you self-assess well, you probably only have one every 10. You know, the yeah. problem is not everybody self-assess well. You know, and self-assess is, like I was telling earlier, the truth. The truth is what helps you grow. Self-assess. Yeah. If you don't have truth in your self-assess, you're not going to grow much. So self-assess is a big part of growing as a player and staying consistent. There's no question about it. Listen, you've been so generous with your time, and I appreciate you taking the time today. I have one more uh, for you that our producer Barry always wants and to ask. I have a couple. Yeah. Just well, you, we you, apologize just for this, Just sit Marty. tight. We're going to apologize like, already. We're trying to limit. We're trying to really get. I just want to say one thing before you say that, though. Marty, I always wanted to be a coach, and I'm being sincere. Everything you have said is exactly what I've always felt. 
the idea said that he said that last guest too so i'm on on the right track (laughs) so i'm on the right track you're on the right track well you my dad talked me out of it because he said i was a shitty football player and he told me i wasn't going to make any money so i hit the mute button yeah yeah all right here's here's the uh question that producer barry always wants us to ask and we'll ask it what is the first sentence of your hockey eulogy someone's writing you a hockey eulogy you are writing your own what's that first sentence like his mother said he would show them (laughs) there you go that's awesome right that is awesome. Mother, mother said, show them all. And you did show them all. There's no question about it. Uh, the career you had, uh, just incredible what you did. Honestly, when I look at your career, a lot of guys are blessed with talent. I get it. But um, the drive, the the uh, stick-to-itiveness that you had, um, it was incredible to see what you achieved in your career and to get yeah. to the Hall of Fame. Like you earned. You earned Every inch, every accolade you earned, and you gave and- guy, you gave guys like me, uh, you know, you you just you, there's a legacy there. You gave guys like me hope, and that pa- patience is. I mean, to, to hear your story, to hear what you had to climb, and then even get in the NHL, put it on a pedestal, and just kind of play out that third, fourth line until they finally, you know, put me in the sixth top, you know, top six where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, now I'm a Hall of Famer. I just think it's an incredible story and journey awesome. and that I appreciate. Yeah, and I, I said, I appreciate yeah. the kind words, uh, but like the, if anybody thinks that I did all this because of talent, they don't know anything mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. No, you know, it's not like talent. Like, like, did I have abilities? Absolutely. There probably one thing that I was probably better than like anybody. And I will challenge that is I was better at getting better There you go. than everybody. And that's an art and that's work. And that's like observation and self-assessment. It's all that because everybody has abilities, you know, some better than others, but if you're really good at improving your abilities, you're going to get to where you want. And, and, and self-assess is, is step one. Well, there's no question awesome. you did that. And Barry, do you have anything else before we yeah, let Marty go? One other question, but I okay. what is it? If, if you, these are people are not playing anymore because you're in a position now, so you can't do it with people playing, but people that are not playing anymore and you could pick your, and not yourself too, you could pick your top line. Who are the guys you'd put on your top line? Without me, I'm coaching. You're coaching. You could pick <laughs> yeah. from any player that's not playing. And defenseman and so 2D, a goalie 2D, and the top line. goalie and three, three um, forwards. Okay. Um, definitely Merrill Lemieux up the middle. There you go. Um, you know, I probably have Gila Fleur on the right wing. Probably Matt's Nazan on the left, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I love that. You know, <laughs> Matt's would give the puck. Matt's would distribute, <laughs> distribute to Mario and, and Guy. He, he'd get out of the way when it's time. Mm-hmm. And, he would go uh, in the corner, the, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll he win would. battles and win pucks on the back end. Um, probably Bobby Orr. There's so many great players. Right. Tough not to tough not to like McCarr right now. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> but uh yeah, that'd be that'd be I don't know who would stay back. <laughs> Bobby and Carol. <laughs> who would play defense? Yeah. I know. Yeah, you know what? I I, I feel very comfortable in, in saying like I know it's a different era, but I would go probably like maybe I have Victor Hedman play the right side with uh, Bobby Orr. Um but uh, you know, Hedy's. Uh, I'm I'm really happy the way he's uh, uh, he's 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 turned out to be, and not shocked. Great kid, and I just love the his size, and he can defend. And I think he would let Bobby do his thing, and and, and Hedy could uh, protect the fort and defend well. Now, what happens if they're both up the ice helping those three forwards? Who's going to stop Matt's, the puck? Probably Mads <laughs> is staying back. <laughs> no, who's going to stop the puck? <laughs> oh yeah, who's going to stop the puck? <laughs> Oh, who's going to stop the puck? Wow. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give it to my Stanley Cup goalie, Nikolai Habibulin. Ooh, wow. That guy was underrated. So good. Wow. That's One awesome. of the best teammates, too. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. It would have been easy. It would have been easy to pick a Patrick Waugh or a Marty Brodeur yeah. or this one or that yeah. one, but good on you. 
Good on I you. think we're good. If we got those five guys in front of him, I don't think he has to do much. <laughs> They'll have the puck all night. No question about yeah. it. Listen, Marty, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for offering to come on this with me. I, um, no, anytime. It's this awesome. is great. I love, I love talking hockey and with good people. So I appreciate you getting me on. Well, thanks so much. And uh, I wish you luck moving forward. No question. You got it. Thanks, Marty. Be well, guys. Have a great summer. You too.